0: Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, My name is Dave Hopping, and I'm the director of youth here at New Life Dresher. And uh, I'd love to be with you guys, but as Anthony already explained, out of um, just uh, siding on the air of caution, and for those of you who maybe missed watching sermons on video, we decided this was the best way for me to uh, do the sermon this morning. So if you would just join me in prayer as we get started, Uh, Lord, Thank you so much for today and allowing us to be able to worship you, Lord. Um, Even though I'm not there in person right now, I am at home watching and uh, singing along. And uh, yeah, Lord, uh, thank you that um, we have the capability to do this, uh, Lord, so that uh, all the work and preparation I've put into um, just uh, putting this together and seeking you out, Lord, um, I'm still able to present what I've learned um, and share it. So, Lord, uh, be with us during this time. Um, I pray that your spirit would open our hearts, open our minds, and open our ears to what your word has to say. And I just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, when I was in college, I uh, actually met this girl named Michelle, who was pretty awesome. And we, uh, we hung out. We, we were in the same communication school. Uh, we were both in Campus Crusade. And actually, my junior year of college, we lived on the same floor in the dorm. And so that year, we actually started hanging out more. And what was cool was, you know, honestly, there was no weird tension of, like, you know, ooh, I like her, she likes me. Because, honestly, she seemed way out of my league. Um, so I had no preconceived notions that, like, oh, I would ever date this girl. So hanging out was fun. Like, it was really, really a good time. But the more we hung out, uh, we actually got to a point where um, I started to realize, like, uh-oh, I really like this girl. What do I do with that? And she it seemed like she liked me. But the problem was, Michelle had a lot of friends. And in particular, she had a lot of guy friends named Dave. That was kind of confusing for me. I went to her birthday party one time at a restaurant. And all of a sudden, like, all these guys showed up. And I swear to you, 60% of them were named Dave. Um, and then, and yeah, it was just confusing. And I, uh, one weekend, uh, her parents were coming up to visit. And she invited me to meet her parents and have dinner with them on Saturday night of that visit. And I I was like, this is it. This is the sign I've been waiting for. Michelle must like me because she's inviting me to meet her parents. This has to be it. So that Friday night that they came, they took her out to dinner, and I was was doing a project. And I ran into a friend of mine, and I said, hey, man, tomorrow I'm having dinner with Michelle and her parents. I think this is it. Like, I think she really likes me. And he's like, oh, cool. And then he said, do you know where she is right now? i was like yeah she's out the dinner with her parents and he said yeah and another guy named dave so here's what happened apparently this is how it worked out in michelle's head um, her parents she said hey i've got this guy named dave he's really busy friday night um, but saturday i would love for you to meet him i really like him and and i would just love for you guys to meet dave and they said that's cool well friday night let's still take you out do you have any friends that maybe like live far away and their parents don't ever get to come visit? Oh, we would love to take them out. And Michelle said, oh, sure. I have my other friend, Dave, who lives in San Francisco. We could take him. And so that makes total sense. Well, that, that worked out in Michelle's head, but for me, it was super confusing. And to be honest, I, her mother said to me not too long after that, she said, yeah, I was actually kind of confused about that weekend too. I knew she liked it, Dave. I just didn't know which one. All this to be said, Um, it seemed like she liked me, but it wasn't totally clear. Um, there was this chance that I could just be another Dave in her life. So, on the one hand, I had people around me, like, speaking wisdom into the situation, encouraging me. But on the other hand, I also had this fear because there were plenty of times I'd been friend-zoned. Um... And so it, it felt like it would be so much more convenient to not rock the boat, right? Because the fear of rejection and also potentially ruining the friendship that we've built um, because, you know, because made me feel like I couldn't bring up my feelings um, because I could potentially ruin it all. And I, I had no control over how she felt about me and how she would respond to me telling her how I felt. Now, in the end, like I said, it started to get to a point where it was just way too crazy. And I said, I have to, I have to tell you how I feel or I'm going to lose my mind. Um, I went out on a limb and I told her how I felt. And spoiler alert, here we are, married, 18 years, three kids. So why do I share all this? Well, last week, we looked at what it means to live wisely. So as the preacher shared in chapter two, even though living wisely in vanity uh, is vanity in the sense that the fool and the wise both die he says in verse 13 um, then I saw there is more gain in wisdom than in folly as there is more gain in light than in darkness so even though uh, wisdom is vanity he sees that there's more gain to be lived like when you live in wisdom so as we've talked about through, throughout Ecclesiastes uh, we've been pointed to view our lives from the, the the reality of death so no matter how much wisdom we have uh, no matter how much we work in a mass, no matter how much fun we have, we're all going to die. That reality isn't meant to, you know, it's not meant to cause us to, to throw away wisdom or to hate our work or abandon fun. It should just allow us, though, to recognize these things as gifts instead of the goal. And so today, in keeping in this, this in view and the foundation of living wisely that Anthony talked about last week, the preacher now challenges us to look at another harsh reality of life with a different view. And that is, there are things that we don't know and never will, and there are things that are out of our control. In Ecclesiastes 9.11, the preacher says, Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happens to them all. So most of us would probably readily acknowledge this, yet we live as to avoid these realities. We think we can or should figure it all out, and and we live as if we can control things as well. We think, if I do everything right, then good will happen. And to an extent, there is cause and effect in this that goes on in the world, but what happens when there's a market collapse or a diagnosis of cancer or worldwide pandemic? or you wake up on a Saturday morning with a cold when you're supposed to preach the next day. How much you've worked towards, how much you've saved, all of a sudden doesn't have the significance that you thought it once did. And those things may even disappear. So in the end, there are things that we will never know or understand, and there are things that we will never be able to control. And though many of us would recognize that as a reality, we still try to live as if it's not true. We believe, well, if I work hard enough, then then I'll succeed. Um, And for some of us, this reality of not being in control or understanding all things is is so frustrating and real that it causes us to, to just throw our hands up and say, well, then why bother? Well, the preacher addresses these two outlooks in our passage today, which is Ecclesiastes 11. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. And I would encourage you, open your Bibles and keep them open today. Um, we threw this together last night, and so we don't have all the video and screen stuff. So open your Bibles today. Uh, we're going to be camped out in chapter 11. Um, and, and just join me as I as I read it to you. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. So just as the preacher challenged us to look at life from the perspective of death, today he's going to ask us to view our abilities and what we know from the reality of the unknown or the uncontrollable. And so as you can see, as I read, we're, we're continuing this proverbial style of, of writing that we were looking at last week. And so I'm just going to kind of walk through two verses at a time. So looking at verse 1, uh, we see some interesting imagery. Um, cast, all your bread upon the, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Why are we throwing our bread in the water? Like, are we feeding ducks or something? And, and also, I'm sh- not sure that if I find bread that I threw in the water many days ago, I'm going to want that bread. So, so what exactly is the preacher talking about here? Well, obviously, it's, it's a metaphor. Um, There seems to be debate uh, among scholars as to whether he's talking about uh, business or about charity and generosity or maybe a mixture of the two between the two verses. Um, Most commentators feel that this word cast is kind of a misleading translation, whereas the word send is, is better. Um, and the idea of send lends itself probably more towards trade, where where bread would kind of be our, our livelihood or grain. Um, and the idea is that if you invest, uh, you invest it; it will come back to you. And, and honestly, this is this is true. Most great business ventures uh, start with some sort of risk, right? Uh, people investing money into an unknown. Um, Some people quitting more secure jobs to pursue a venture that is just starting out with very little security. Or even even some people may pick up and move to a new place where they don't know anyone um, just to start a new venture. Um, In order to succeed or grow that venture, a risk has to be taken. And that's what he's sharing kind of here in verse 1. And then in verse 2, it says to give a portion to 7 or or even to 8 You know, Trumper Longman points out that that the writer here is actually utilizing a technique in Hebrew literature to give the impression of a large number of cases, right? Amos Amos actually does this in the beginning of his book when he declares to the various nations that God will not revoke his punishment for three transgressions or even four. Um, And I think it also should be noticed that seven tends to be a number of perfection in the Bible. So the writer here can be implying to give the perfect amount and then some. So so if this is talking about business, the idea is to invest and diversify while you have the funds. Um, On the other hand, though, the bread in verse 1 could mean food or nourishment that people need to survive. And and if that's the case, these verses can be calling you to to just give freely to those in need while you have. Um, This concept of giving freely and having it come back to you or because you don't know what evil may come uh, that you may find your it means you may find yourself in a circumstance where you don't have, and will need others to do the same for you at some point. Now, admittedly, this concept can be perverted uh, to fit like a prosperity gospel uh, type message. You know, like if you give money, then you'll be blessed with more money, um, and that's that's not really what what the preacher is saying here. Um, This is more along the concept of the golden rule that Jesus shares in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. He says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You know, I was actually just talking to a friend of mine this week who found himself on the opposite side of the spectrum. Um, He was in great need uh, and someone gave to him as he was in this time of great need. And it was so encouraging it to him that he said, like, when I find myself with I'm going to want to give to others uh, because of what this person did for me. So in the end, whether these two verses are talking about business or just generosity, the overall concept is is the same. Um, It is wise and even beneficial to not hoard our profits or our riches. We are called to hold loosely to our material things. And letting go will, will bring reward. You know, Christ tells us something similarly when he tells us in Matthew 16, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, I don't believe that this is telling us to just throw our money away or, um, you know, just squander it. We're we're called to use wisdom with our things. You know, financial planning is is useful, and and wise spending is useful. But like anything, when we focus on those things, they, they can become an idol. You know, in Luke chapter 12, uh, Jesus tells the parable of a rich man whose, whose land produces just plenty, an overabundance, really. He already has barns and storehouses, it says. But, but instead of using his surplus to help others or invest in other areas, he decides to tear down the barns he already has so he could build bigger ones and just take this surplus and store it there. Um, and, and then we come to find out when the storehouses are made and everything's stored away, he's going to die the next day. Don't make big storehouses an idol. You know, savings are fine, but don't let it make you fear giving or investing wisely. Otherwise, you'd be storing up things that you're going to lose. In the end, like I said, what the preacher is telling us with these two verses is to hold loosely to your material things. Moving on to verse 3 and 4, you know, I, I would never consider myself a controlling person. Um... But then we had our first child, who then became a toddler. And I would get so frustrated at his irrational outbursts and his tantrums. Like, it would drive me nuts. Like, it wore on me. And I even I was in counseling at the time. I brought it up to my counselor. I said, I can't believe how little patience I have. When he does these things, it makes me want to lose my mind. And my counselor just kind of looked at me very measured. And she said, so you're getting upset with him because he's acting like a four-year-old? And I was like what? And she said, well, it sounds to me like you would rather he act like someone like you in their 30s. And because you can't make him do that, you're getting upset. I was like, oh, man. I could not make the toddler act the way I wanted him to. I could do everything right. I could academically know how to parent. And yet he would still do these things because he's four. Clearly, you know, you want to parent and correct. But his reactions were out of my control, and I found this maddening. So here in verses 3 and 4, the preacher shows us some scenarios, right? Uh, Clouds are going to overflow with rain, and a tree is going to fall where it lies without any direction from us. For some of us, this may be all too true uh, recently. Remember how the other week it just started hailing out of nowhere? Several of us in this congregation had trees come down on our properties, damaging vehicles, our houses, and our yards. And there was nothing you could do about it. No matter what we do, the clouds are going to rain and the trees are going to fall. And there are things that are completely out of our control. Now, in verse 4, he says that if you try to wait on the perfect conditions to sow or reap, you'll be waiting around and and not really get anything done. You know, people say that about other things in life. They say, if you wait for the right time to get married, it will never happen. Or if you wait for the right time to have children, it'll never happen. Um, if you wait for the right time to reconcile with someone, you may wait until it's too late. This isn't suggesting that we just run blindly into things. There, there's still wisdom in timing, but the reality is that if you wait for everything to be perfect, then it's never going to happen. Uh, David Gibson says, The thing that is worse than either success or failure in life is failing to live in the first place. Paralyzed by the fear of failure, we will never try anything. Driven by the desire to succeed, we focus on only one thing. So what Gibson is saying is that for some of us, we get so caught up in a fear of failure or harm that we we never move forward. If this is our philosophy, then, then we're missing out on life. Even when the odds seem stacked against us, taking the risk can be extremely beneficial, even in what we can learn from failure. Also, you—if you—if you're not moving forward out of fear, you may be missing out on the thrill of overcoming the odds. And I feel as Philadelphians, we totally embrace this concept, right? Rocky, Invincible, Nick Foles. Once again, wisdom is important here. Don't just throw heed to the wind, but also don't let the chance of failure stop you from living. For others, the, what Gibson is saying is we get so caught up in trying to succeed that we come very—we become very focused on just one thing. And lose out on other areas of our lives. This, this may even be harmful to us. You know, I think a good example today is, you know, there's so many kid sports, right? Um, it's a big deal. And lately, a lot of people are getting their kids kind of zeroed in on just one sport at an early age. And then just kind of pushing them fully in that direction. So for instance, when it used to just be we would do soccer one season, basketball another season, baseball another season, now we're just doing soccer year round or baseball year round, whatever it is. And, and studies are showing that this is actually more harmful to their development as an athlete than it is good. Um, I saw an article published in the Clinical Journal of Sports Medicine that said, early sport specialization may not lead to long-term success in sports and may increase risk for overuse, injury, and burnout. You know, this desire for fear, um, for, for control or fear of failure will hold us back from whom we're called to be. You know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. There are things that are out of our control and that's okay. We're still called to live, to serve God and to love others. So moving on to verses five and six here, um, We have the preacher pointing out that there are certain things that we are just never going to fully understand. And he uses the example of the the miracle of life. You Remember, he says in verse five, as you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. You know, uh, it should be noted that the writer takes advantage that the same word used for wind, which we saw in verse four, is also the same word for spirit um, that we see in verse five. Uh, Jesus similarly util- utilized this and, and perhaps even had this passage in mind when he's talking Nicodemus in John chapter three, and he explains, Do not marvel that I said to you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. God is God, and we are not. He's the creator, the governor, and the preserver of all things. And so because of this. He has knowledge and understanding that we never will. He will do things and things will happen that we will never fully understand because he is God and we are not. Job was confronted this with, with this reality as he questioned God and, and didn't know what was going on and felt that things were unfair. And God says to him in chapter 38, Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Or where is the way to the dwelling of light, and where is the place of darkness, that you may take it to its territory, and that you may discern the paths to its home? And he also says, can you send forth lightnings, that they may go and say to you, here we are? This isn't to say that we shouldn't learn or gain understanding. You know, God has given us intelligence. Um, He's given us the ability to learn. It's just important to remember that we're never going to figure it all out right? There are going to be things that happen that we may not understand. And when we lose sight of this fact, we start to become arrogant, or we even are resentful towards God when things don't make sense to us, or they don't go the way we think they should. So with that understanding, we come to verse six, and it challenges us to not fall into a rut. Let me read that again, too. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that or whether both alike will be good. You know, we live in an interesting culture, uh, especially now. Um, Some of us find ourselves consumed by work. And I'll tell you what, this whole Zoom work from home thing has not helped. Um, It's become really hard to have a work-home-life balance because we can no longer physically differentiate between the two. Um, We need rest. And, And a lot of us are finding a hard time doing that. Um, some of us have fallen to, uh, into wasting too much of our time. You know, we binge watch uh, things on Netflix, Netflix for hours. Um, we immerse ourselves in video games. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying that it's, it's bad to, inter- to utilize entertainment or it makes you a bad person. But the issue is when, it, when it, it's become so time-consuming that it has an effect on your work or even your family life, um, that's when it's an issue. You know, Paul similarly challenges us in the New Testament when he says in Ephesians, make the best use of your time because the days are evil. Or as he exhorts Timothy to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. There are going to be things that we don't completely get, but we're called to move forward and to not waste our time. Now, as we kind of wrap up here, I don't know about you, but the reality of all these things is, is still pretty hard to live in. Um, there's, there's a tension in the unknown. When, when, is it, when, is it, when is a risk wise and when is it foolish? When, when do we learn what we can and when do we just realize we're never going to know? Where, where are these lines? It's hard to see these lines from here beneath the sun. But brothers and sisters, fortunately God has not left us alone with just knowledge from under the sun. He's pursued his people by becoming one of us to show and give new life and true life. We, not, we may not be able to control or fully understand everything, but we do know that we have a sovereign God who not only is in control of all things, but has given us the promise of the gospel. Jesus Christ came into this broken world that is full of vanity, and through his death and resurrection, he brought salvation and meaning to this creation. He draws us to himself and makes us children of the living God. So living in light of the gospel, we're able and compelled to do things that may not make sense by human standards. Like going on missions to places that others won't go because it's not safe or good for our careers. And by the way, if you're interested in doing that, I know a lady that can help you out. Um, The gospel causes us to choose a career that is not considered as secure or financially profitable. The gospel calls us to associate with people that others try to avoid. The gospel spurs us to do these things because Jesus did it for us and continues to do so. Living in light of the gospel causes us to hold our possessions loosely We can donate and give our money in ways that perhaps don't seem physically right by the world's standards. We are actually encouraged when our children step out of the American dream to become missionaries in a third world country. We know it can be done because Jesus gave up everything for us. And finally, living in light of the gospel will not allow us to live in fear of failure or become full of our perceived successes. Earthly failures oftentimes lead to kingdom successes. Just look at the death of Jesus Christ. Also, the gospel shows us any success we may experience is only possible through the grace and power of Christ. So we recognize any earthly reward is temporary. So once again, it's good to gain understanding and knowledge, but our focus should lie on the gospel and the kingdom of God. When we recognize that our jobs, our talents, our material possessions are all gifts and even tools for God's kingdom and purposes, it frees us. We're no longer bound to fears or bound to seeking comfort, but we are free to truly live because our life is found in Christ alone. If you're here today and you want to know more about how Jesus frees us from these earthly tensions and these worries and concerns, please find someone, um, either someone who brought you or invited you, or Anthony, or one of the leaders wearing a lanyard, and, and talk to them, ask them questions, because they would love to share with you the freedom that comes in living through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, once again, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to do this, um, to be able to bring forth your word. Lord, this was, uh, especially, it was, it was challenging to me, but it was also encouraging as I studied this, as I read through it, as I discussed it with other people, Lord, I pray, um, I pray that it comes across in this video. Um, I pray that um, we would uh, no longer you know, seek to, to have comfort, that we would no longer seek to um, live in fear of failure, uh, Lord, that we would no longer hold on to our possessions. But Lord, in light of knowing that you are in control, Lord God, and that um, there are going to be things that we don't understand, there are going to be things that we don't uh, control. In light of that, Lord, help us now to live in freedom. Help us to take uh, the appropriate steps in the gospel that maybe may not make sense to the world, but make total sense to you. Help us, Lord. Help us to love you with our hearts, souls, and minds, and help us to love our neighbors as ourselves, Lord God. I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.